Hello guys and welcome back to another episode of Rukindi. Today we're joined by Jyoti. She is the CEO and founder of Special Yoga. Um, She's one of the pioneers of children's yoga in the UK. So with all of that, Jyoti, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Awesome. So um, as we begin, do you want to just tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? Uh, you know, what led you on this journey to, first of all, discovering yoga and then obviously starting this um, whole program? Um, sure. So, so um, I uh, come from a fairly challenged background and uh, fairly traumatized. And I always knew that I would find a kind of pathway for my own healing and when I was 17 in 1974, that's just given my age away, but anyway, if you do your maths, um, I found myself in a yoga class. And of course, in 1974, yoga wasn't what it is today. So it was fairly quirky. I mean, it was seen as fairly quirky, fairly unusual. You know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't something most people even knew about, let alone did. And um, for me, that was like an aha moment of, wow, okay, so I knew this was going to be my, my path of healing. Fast forward many years, um, I started teaching yoga. So that was my beginning of my own personal practice. So come towards the late 80s, I started teaching. And um, very early on in my adult teaching, I didn't particularly have a plan to teach children or anything. Um, but a, a, a student of mine, an adult student of mine, was a head teacher at a, you know, in a, in a, of a school in a fairly deprived part of London and um, said to me, we need you would you come in? And I'm like, Oh, I don't know, you know, so I went into the school. And what I realized was, was, you know, again, eight, 1989, people still didn't really know what yoga was at that point. And also, that at that time, children weren't being diagnosed with ADHD or autism, or they were just deemed as difficult children, um, and were fairly misunderstood. And what I witnessed in that classroom, which you see in all classrooms, actually, um, in the mainstream education environment, was kids who couldn't concentrate, they were fiddling, they were uncomfortable, they were, you know, chewing their pencils, trying to get off the chairs, you know. Um, and I thought to myself, wow, that feels like me. That was that was my own experience from my own traumatic start in life. And I thought, well, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm going to try and find a way to share with the children what has helped heal me. So I took the practices that I knew, I knew really well, because I'd really embodied them, because I'd obviously by then been practicing for a good 15, 16, 17 years, I suppose, so, you know, 15 years, 16 years, whatever the math says. And um, I just tried to make it as child friendly as possible, but kept it very therapeutic, because I really felt that what these kids needed the most was to be able to connect back to themselves, to connect in with their bodies, learn how it feels to regulate, how it feels to be settled in your being. Um, and then the joy of stretching and moving, but in a healthy way, you know, I'm not saying that movement isn't healthy, because I think it is, and I think it's a really important, but in a useful way, perhaps, it might, might be a, a different way of putting it. Um, and that was the, really the beginning of my journey. And then shortly after that, um, I started to have uh, adults actually with special needs showing up in my class, completely randomly showing up in my classes. So there was a woman with um, cerebral palsy, and then I had a blind man and his dog showed up. 
and all of a sudden I thought, whoa, this is really interesting. And I really enjoyed the challenge of finding different pathways of sharing yoga with these people. Because obviously, if you're blind, you can't watch a demonstration. So how do you appropriately guide somebody into that? You have to kind of use your language really differently to really guide somebody into their body and use kind of your energy in a different way. And of course, with cerebral palsy, you've got a, a you know, you've got an imbalance in your physical body. So again, it created, it, it required a different way of um of of supporting those people and i really loved it uh, um and i kind of felt, felt like i felt my calling and then you know i started to teach more children and then children with special needs started to show up and you know it just kind of grew from there really and then by the time i opened special yoga in uh, must be about 2003 maybe somewhere around there um I realized that I couldn't keep doing, I, I had so many people coming to see me that I couldn't do it on my own anymore. So it was, you know, it was an invitation then to um, A, train other people to do it. And also to, uh, I wanted to create an environment that felt safe for people, uh, families, particularly with children with special needs to come into because you're not really welcomed in many parts of the world, you know of life because challenging behaviors you know whether you're in a wheelchair and you're dribbling and you're making noises people it can make people really uncomfortable and you know when you've got autistic children who are or, or children not necessarily autistic but who you know find being in their being difficult and they're screaming and they're kicking off and you know all the rest of it it's just to have a safe space for them to be because there's nowhere pe people can't take parents can't take their children those kinds of children to normal and um, um, whatever normal is places so we we opened a oh sorry i turned my phone off i didn't realize it was on um uh so i opened a, a yoga center which we had for about um i don't know 15 16 years we closed the physical center um a few years back and um we're now just a training school and you know support our practitioners to be the best models of uh yoga for all the children really and i think you know post covid you've got a lot more trauma you've got a lot more difficulties for children and i think that yoga is a really effective uh, therapeutic practice that you know supports uh, trauma it supports regulation it supports well-being it supports mental health so it kind of for me fits into the whole spectrum of what's needed to um to make the world a better place for these children and to give them tools that they can have for the rest of their lives mm, i completely could not agree more i mean that's just it is so phenomenal um the power of what yoga can do what a proper practice can do um you were talking about mindful movement um for those listening uh who have children um with special needs um but you know they're not really familiar with um the benefits or, or yoga and what it encompasses, how would you um, discuss or talk about uh, mindful movement? Uh, you know, the, the benefits of somebody with ADHD who just moves all the time, you know, erratically. Um, talk us through that process. So, <laughs> so I, I think it's more than mindful movement, actually, because I think your breath is really the key to regulation. So children who are moving constantly have um, an, an irregulated, a dysregulated rather, autonomic nervous system. And when we 
um, when we work with those kinds of kids, what we're looking at is what, what where's the pathway in to you that's going to help you to uh, rebalance that autonomic nervous system so that you can not have to be jumping all the time so that you're getting different feedback into your body to through yoga practices, whether it's breath work, movement, um, touch, you know, different massage points, uh, sound healing. So, you know, we encompass quite a large spectrum of practice um, as part of the therapeutic package, I suppose, um, to support these children. So mindful movement would be you know, being being aware of where your body is, you know, learning how to um, regulate your uh, proprioceptive system and your uh, vestibular system so that you understand where you are in space. That's first of all. And then using the ground. Uh, we, so we work very closely, very much with the ground as a giving you feedback about where you are in space as well. And then you can start to learn how what it feels like to be stiller even if it's for a split second you know and so you build on little steps and you're not going to get a child that's literally ricocheting off the walls onto a yoga mat doing an hour's yoga session in one class i mean that it doesn't happen like that i mean it can do but generally it doesn't uh, but you know those little moments of stillness if they can be recognized for the child and you go wow that's a beautiful moment you've just had or wow that's a beautiful breath you've just taken so they start to identify that experience because it's an unknown experience for them and of course for all of us actually when we start something new it can feel quite unsafe because we don't know what we're doing. And I think for a lot of those children, when they first start to find stillness and find rest and find different pathways for themselves that they haven't yet experienced, it can be quite scary. Because, not that it's not a good thing, but because it's unknown. So the movement, um, you know, you can start to, you, you meet them where they are, and then you can start to use different kinds of uh, practice to just bring that energy down and start to bring some more regu regu regulation really into the autonomic nervous system. And one, one of the things that happens with movement is stretching. When you stretch your body, you're releasing um, uh, serotonin, which is your coping chemical. And most children with ADHD will have a very, very, very low reserve of, of uh, coping of serotonin. So it bring it, it recorrects the um, chemical balance in the brain. Wow, that is so interesting. Um, and over a prolonged period of time, have you, um, what sort of differences have you noticed in these children? Um, you know, we'll start with ADHD and then move to autism and um, all the other variations. You know, I think that, um, so the way that we work, okay, uh, requires, so I think, I think that it's an interesting question and I'll, I'll, I'm going to come back to it. I'm going to circle around a little bit. So one of the things that I feel is really, really, really important around all children is that we as the adults model good behavior. Now, good behavior for me is, regulate, is, a, is not being good. It's being regulated. It's being open-hearted. It's being non-judgmental. It's, you know, it's taking you. So when you really practice yoga in its fullest um expression you start to take the walls of your heart down and you start to settle in your autonomic nervous system your thoughts change and so when you then come and sit with a child what you're doing without even trying to do anything is the energy field that you then create 
is a safe zone for that child. So you're then modeling what, what I'm describing as that, that's what I would describe as good behavior. So you're modeling that for the child. So that becomes an unspoken invitation for the child to learn how to settle themselves, to learn how to, um, uh, you know, be in a different way. Because children don't learn from what we say, they learn from how we are. You know, children learn through watching other children. They learn through the energy field that's presented to them. And unfortunately, because the world doesn't necessarily accept these kids and we're always trying to put round pegs in, I mean, we as a, as a society are trying to put round pegs in square holes. These kids are deemed as disabled and actually they're not disabled. They're just differently abled. And so if we can come to them from a, a different place of acceptance, of unconditional love, of um, empathy, of um, and, and from a really regulated place inside ourselves, then the child calms down. It's really, it's like magic. It actually is like magic. And I think we underestimate, we're so busy trying to fix everybody that we forget that actually we're, most of us are, are working from an empty pot. So when we refuel and refill ourselves and we can come peacefully, you know, that's the first place. Then we can share the tools from a useful place. Mm, yeah. So what we then see is children tantruming less, calming down, sleeping better, um, improved diet sometimes because they, they develop body awareness. I remember one young young man, apparently he'd never eaten anything green in his life. He was about 18 when he came to see me. I think he had cerebral palsy and autism. But um, And, you know, I never mentioned diet. I don't talk about diet with the children. You know, it's, that's something that, that, that either happens or it doesn't happen. But, the, you know, he, he came in the second, second the mum phoned me about a week after the first session and said to me, oh, my God, he's eating green vegetables. I'm like, interesting. So, what, you know, what happened there? She said, I don't know. She said, I don't know. I think he just feels comfortable and wants to be healthy. I'm like, interesting. Oh, wow. You know, so all sorts of different things can happen out of this. But the biggest things that we see are improvement in, in quantity and quality of sleep for that population, which is a really big deal. And, of course, if we don't sleep, the parents also don't sleep. So everybody's in supercharge, right? Everybody's in kind of, you know, slightly high vibration because you're all running on, on adrenals because you haven't slept. Sleep's really important. So helping the quality and quantity of sleep is super important. And from there, we can be more regulated and be, you know, life becomes easier. You know, you know, if you're really overtired, it's really a horrible feeling, right? I mean, I don't like it in me. And it makes me jittery and, you know, so there's that, there's the reduction in anxiety, the reduction in stress, uh, more body awareness. And I think what yoga does is it resets the autonomic nervous system and, and actually rebalances our entire being so that we are in the optimum place. Our brain and uh, our being is in the optimum place to thrive and learn and function. Mm, so beautiful, so beautiful. And is there any specific type of yoga that you focus on with these children? Well, my, uh, you know, I, my, my background in, in yoga, I mean, I, my very first class in 1974 was Shivananda. So, but Shivananda follows a routine, you know, and as does Ashtanga yoga, as does, you know, in Kundalini yoga, there's lots of um, Kriyas which follow methodology and all the rest of it. And I think for these children, um, I'm, I, 
that actually I tuck all of that away. And actually, for me, it's about embodying practice so that I understand what it feels like in my body. If I understand what it feels like in my body and I can be really present to you, then I can use any number of tools. Mm, mm. So I don't actually follow any one path. So I might do a little bit. There might be a Kundalini movement or there might be you know, a, a movement from the Kundalini tradition or you know, it's Hatha yoga based. And I have to say sometimes, honestly, sometimes it doesn't even look like yoga. I don't, you know, so that whole perception of what a yoga class should look like or might look like is you got to kind of throw that out the window. I mean, sometimes we just massage the child's foot and breathe with them because ultimately what we want to do is to take the child or, or help guide the child to the most regulated place for them in that in that moment. And whatever pathway it takes to get there often doesn't look like people expect yoga to look like. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and particularly with children who do have, you know, unique, if they're not routine-based, um, you know, it, I, I can see how that would be quite challenging and, and um, how doing what they want um, is beneficial or what you can lead them through. Yes. Sequencing, sequencing can be useful for, you know, for developing motor planning skills and motor coordination skills. Um, it can be useful for uh, kids who, as you rightly said, need that kind of structure. But for others, it doesn't work, you know, and, and if you take the fact that, you know, each day in, e in each moment, we're always different, you know, in our emotional state. So, you know, what a child was able to do last week, you know, they may have eaten something, the moon may have been the moon, the planets may be affecting them, somebody might have said something, they may not have slept, they may have had mad dreams, I mean, who knows, you, you know, in life, what happens. So from one week to the next, they're not always in the same place. So you can't assume that what you did last week, you can do this week, necessarily, and maybe you can, and maybe you can't. Mm, mm. You know, no, that's I, very I true. think it depends the kind of child and, and the moment. Mm, no, very true. And, uh, you know, personally, I've been um, practicing yoga for a few years. I mean, not as many as you, um, you know, a good five, six years. And uh, each time um, I started with Ashtanga um, quite, you know, regularly um, and then uh, moved more to Yin. And now I could just kind of go with what my body's feeling and, and really just tune into myself um, rather than looking at, um, you know, other people. I mean, previously I used to go to yoga classes and now I just do it in my own space out in nature um, and it's so, as you were saying, it's so, such a healing practice. And, uh, you know, that's why when I came across you, I was really interested in the correlation between um, yoga and children with autism and seeing if there is a way that they can actually help heal them. And, um, you know, coming across you who have, uh, you've just articulated how that process actually works. I mean, it's, it's truly phenomenal and you can really feel it in your body. You can really feel that grounding, that connection. And, um, you know, like you were saying earlier, a lot of children who um, struggle to be in their own body or, or are running around everywhere, I can imagine the amount of peace or, um, you know, what they must be feeling to be able to finally just settle uh, what that settling feels like and how you can honestly transform these children's lives. I mean, if they start this practice at a young age uh, with you, then as they get older, hopefully that can actually allow them to or instill that practice for the rest of their life. Um, and then you could literally, um, you know, help transform these these children's lives. That's the idea. <laughs> That's absolutely the idea. I mean, I, you know, I also think that, you know, autism is so interesting, you know, because it's such a huge spectrum. And, you know, I, 
you know, there's so much more diagnosis these days, and sometimes I really question the diagnosis, but, but nevertheless, that's not that's not what this is about, and I don't want to go down that path anyway. Um, but I do also think that what, one of the things that we have an opportunity to when we when we work with these children is to start to kind of see the world through their eyes, because I think that they've been put here on this planet not as something wrong or something that needs healing or fixing or anything like that, but they need to learn how to be with themselves as we all do. I mean, you know, I think what yoga gives and everybody, I mean, everybody that practices the, the, the possibility of developing uh, a different relationship with yourself. And so for them, you're doing the same thing, but we're not going to cure, you know, heal them from autism because that's, that's what makes them who they are and what makes them the amazing beings that they are too. It's just that the system systems in the world don't accept that because they don't fit in our norm. So for, you know, for, for most people, as I said earlier, you know, they, they see them as, as it's almost like there's something wrong with them. But I don't think there is. Mm. I actually don't think there is. I think if we learn to really love them and accept them and, and, I mean, honestly, if you, if we could see the world through their eyes, there would be a whole world out there that we haven't even touched. You know, <laughs> these beautiful. kids are amazing. They are amazing beings. You know? Well, if you look at a lot of um, people who've started, uh, you know, billion dollar companies, a lot of them tend to have autistic um, traits that you can kind of uh, gauge and I find that very interesting because of the fact that you know either they'll like things in a specific order you know or they'll fixate on something until they've co- accomplished it um, and, and and those um, can be quite beneficial in life you know if they nurture it or if they are in a loving environment that can you know cultivate that and, and really allow that person to work in their best manner whereas children who have been you know surrounded by you know, uh, difficult situations or felt like they're not good enough, they probably won't really apply themselves as much to what they can actually um, achieve. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, but that said, you know, for for parents of children, you know, who have uh, challenging behaviours and, and, you know, it's it's it can be really hard work and really you know harsh on your heart but i but i also think that you know if we can learn to see behavior as a form of communication um as opposed to something that's good or bad and obviously you know you don't want children out there spitting at other people and all you know things like that or slapping other people but underneath all of that there's unmet needs and you know we're all basketfuls of unmet needs you know we all have the same basic needs in life of wanting to be loved, wanting to be heard, wanting to be understood, wanting to be respected, uh, you know, and their cause are the same as ours. I mean, we're no different to them in that way. So when their behaviors kick off, it's usually, a, you know, a communication of I'm not okay, you know, in whatever, whatever that is, it might be physical, it might be physiological, it might be emotional, it might be even spiritual, who knows, you know, but and our job is to listen and not just observe the behaviors and try and you know fix the behaviors is let's go underneath the behavior and let's see if we can identify what you need mm. so our, and so when we do enough of our own practices the adults around the children then we can also start to listen more deeply you know and and not be reactive to the 
behaviors we don't like or we find socially unacceptable or whatever you know whatever response we have to it and yeah i mean you know it's not nice to be spat at and it's not nice to be slapped and it's scary to be with a child who's grown up who's stronger than you are you know who's hitting you i mean i get all of that but i also think that if we can learn how to really hold a place of pure love you know real love for these kids it will change and i've seen that you know i've been in environments where you know I've, i i remember one school we went into there was there were there were um two young men they were in their sort of teens and both were being held down and i kid you not by three beefy men and these you know i walk in with a colleague of mine who's also female to go and uh, practice yoga with these boys and these men looking at us like yeah right yeah right you know and i said well you know oh hi we're here to do yoga with the boys and they're looking at me like i'm completely an alien being you know are you kidding you know and i said you know so do you think you could take your hands off the boys no was the answer immediately you know like hmm, interesting okay so the, and, and and the guy said we won't because we're here to protect you because they will hit you well that is an invitation for the child to keep hitting because it's not giving the child any range of possibility other than to behave in the way that has become their norm. So let's change their norm. We can all change our norms, right? But if we continue to assume that that's what the child's gonna do, it's an invitation for the child to keep doing it. Anyway, over a period of time, I got every, I thought, okay, so we're gonna have to approach this slightly differently. If they're not gonna take their hands off them, we're all gonna work together. So I got these big beefy guys breathing with the, with the boys and slowly, without even realizing they'd done it, they started to release the hold on these kids. And and by the time they got their hands off, I'm like, interesting. So I didn't say a word. I said, so how about we just move back a little bit? We, we just move away a little bit. So I stepped in with one of the kids. My colleague stepped in with the other, other one. She got slapped once, I think. I didn't get slapped at all. And we just did practice. And these guys are looking at us like, what just happened here? I mean, literally, what just happened here? And I said to them, we calmed everything down and we opened our hearts to the possibility that maybe these kids don't need to hit. Mm. Maybe, just maybe. Mm. And it changed it. And then, you know, the, you know, the, the work in that school continued for quite a period of time. We then trained the staff up, um, which we do quite a lot of as well. So I, I like to think that you can embed it into the culture of these environments for, mm. you know, for ongoing um you know for it to continue through through their lives really or through their the time that they're in those those venues so you know i think things are possible you know um and i'm not saying it's easy and i'm not saying it's easy for a parent to you know to have an a, a, a you know a child who's really kicking off at home and you haven't slept and everything's you know you know at your, you're at your wits end but if you just step back and took care of yourself it would change things mm. What sort of um, advice would you um, give parents who have um, a child of special needs? You know, what what would you give them, um, you know, maybe a few, if they were in a situation where their child hits them or, or anything like that, to just help them, you know, better manage that situation? So I think what happens in those moments, um, uh, I have a daughter with additional needs, so I'm not unfamiliar with this territory um, in my own life. And I think that when we as the adults aren't able to be the rock for that child right the child will wobble more you know and the child's behaviors will kick off more so i think that in the moment 
um, uh, you know, there's, there's a bit of compassionate care. One is to just acknowledge that this is a horrible moment, you know, uh, because what we're trying to do is fix, 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 and be conscious that, you know, if we're out in public and, you know, the kid's kicking off and uh, what's, what other people thinking of us and we've got to stop this. And that's not going to, that energy is not going to help the child. It's not going to help the child. And it's obvious, but in the moment we forget that because we're human, right? So I learned uh, a while back, because I've also been around the Buddhist tradition quite a bit, to just sit with my hands on my heart and go, okay, this is horrible. I really hate in this moment. I mean, I can come up with some much worse language than that, actually. Um, and then there's the, the there's a very beautiful woman called Dr. Kristen Neff, who's a compassion, uh, self-compassion specialist in the States. And her practice starts with exactly that is, oh, this is a really horrible moment. I'm hating this moment. And then it's the, the Buddhist perspective of we're in a collective that we're not alone, that there's hundreds of other thousands and tens of thousands of other people suffering as well. And it's not that you want the rest of the world to suffer. It's just that in that isolated moment, you feel like it's only happening to you, right? And then we give ourselves. So, so if what would your best friend do for you? Probably give you a squeezy hug and just go, it's okay, you know? And the other thing that I've added to that, which I've always found really useful, is this is just a moment in time. Because in that moment in time, it's overwhelming. And if we can just take a breath, find our feet, acknowledge the difficulty, know that this is just a moment in time when you calm down, really calm down, not pretend to calm down, but really calm down, your child will calm down. And is that what you're kind of meaning by being the rock is really calming down your presence, calming down your energy um, and just providing that loving space? Stabilizing yourself. I mean, you know, if you're not steady and stable, how's the child going to be steady and stable? Mm. You know, it's, I mean, it, it's, it's, and, and I'm not saying it's easy. I'm really not saying it's easy, but it, it's a practice and it's like developing as with anything, it's building that muscle, isn't it? You know, um, of, of, of changing how we respond and react mm. and not beating yourself up when you fall off the wagon and, you know, get upset again because we're human. And so it's, it's, a, it's also about cultivating that real acceptance of self, acceptance of, and love of yourself, you know, and knowing that, you know, you're okay, we're okay here. And, you know, I, and I think that, you know, culturally we haven't been brought up taking care of ourselves. We've always been praised for all the things we do out there. No one praises you for taking care of you. And actually we need to change that trajectory completely. If we're gonna help the world's children, we have to change that trajectory because we, if we really can cultivate that level of self-love, self-care, self-compassion, we are teaching the children the biggest life skill they'll ever have. Mm, no, that's so true. And particularly with a lot of people chasing, um, you know, monetary incentives rather than focusing on how they are doing, um, it can lead to a very sick society that is very disconnected from each other, disconnected from ourselves. We're seeing a rise in depression, a rise in anxiety as a result of this continuous, um, you know, disconnection. Um, so, but interestingly, you know, yoga is um, 
rising, the amount of people uh, that are taking it up and, and incorporating it is really phenomenal. And, um, you know, the, the consequences of that, particularly mindfulness, um, meditation, breath work, you know, that's back when you were, when you had started, you were saying, you know, nobody really did it. Whereas now it kind of seems like, um, you know, every person or most people that you speak to have either tried it or, you know, at least know what that's all about and the benefits that that can actually incorporate. Totally. Totally, totally, totally. So, you know, I mean, it is a different world. But, uh, you know, and there's also lots of different styles of yoga and lots of different ways of practice. And it's not the one's better than the other. But I do think that it's not just about asana. Mm. And I think that we, you know, I think that, it, that incorporating breath work, incorporating meditation, incorporating real genuine kindness to self is, is, is for me, part and parcel of the whole picture. Mm. And for, for those mothers listening, what um, what would you say is self-kindness? What is that self-care? What can they do to um, cultivate that, that love and nourishment that you speak of to be that rock for those children? Um, it's what a lot of people call being selfish, actually, interestingly. You know, it's give yourself time. You know, you, you know we, we can't give from an empty pot. You know, so whatever it is for you that fills your pot up. So it could be, you know, your breath work. It could be a bit of yoga for you. It could be walking in nature. It could be just giving yourself a hug, being around people that love you and care for you, who are not going to judge you, you know, who are literally going to hold you. Whatever it is for you that's going to nourish you and fill you up, do it, you know, and rest. Rest. I think rest is is deeply um, undervalued. And I think the more that we rest, the more we restore. But I'm not talking about rest by putting your feet up in front of a TV. I'm talking about rest in terms of do a meditation, do a body scan, do some breath work, feel your body, connect back to yourself, start to cultivate that um, relationship with you. Um, and it takes time. It takes time. And, you know, people say, oh, I haven't got time. I haven't got time. But you know what? Everything. Sorry, my dog's jumping at me. He's uh, he's come to join us. Um, it, it, it start, you know, two minutes a day to start with something, because I think that the other thing that happens is, is that people go, oh, I haven't got an hour, so I'm not going to do any yoga, you know. And so you get down. And so, um, you know, don't try and do an hour. Try and do something that you can do. Mm. And everybody everybody can find five minutes yep that's, that's a, a extremely valid point that's a choice and you can change your state in the matter of minutes literally minutes you know you can change your states in two or three minutes it's scientifically proven i'm not making this stuff up so you find five minutes do something you know just do something even if it's very little do something because then you start to 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 to, to tell yourself you know un, you know consciously or unconsciously i'm caring about you i'm going to take care of you you know, and then that two minutes becomes three minutes and then the three minutes becomes five minutes. And then after five minutes, you go, oh, I'd really like to do this a bit more. Ah, so maybe I'll do seven minutes, you know. And so it builds up from there. But do something that you can manage. Don't try and do too much because what happens is you try to do everything and then you give up. Mm. Yep, yep. No, that's very true. Very, very, very true. And, and building that, cultivating that time, uh, noticing how you feel when you do that. I can imagine would definitely 
increase the amount of time that you would work on on yourself. Um, so just thinking about your um, yoga classes with these children, uh, can you just walk us through, I understand that you said, you know, each time you do slightly different postures and uh, slightly different things, but what would an, an average or an overall kind of uh, view or, or session look like for those listening so they get an idea of, of what you do and, and maybe they can um, get some advice on, on what they can incorporate with their children? So really hard question to answer, actually, because I don't follow a methodology. So what we do when we teach people is we teach you a toolbox. And the first place that I would start with is your breathing. So when you, as the adult around the child, start to regulate your breathing, you'll notice that the children start to regulate theirs. And so that would be the very first place. And you can help children breathe better by through touch if they're if that's appropriate through you you know um you can uh use ujjayi breath so ujjayi breath is where you breathe at the back of the throat and it sounds a bit like darth vader but if you make your breath sound you know give your breath a sound that can um uh help give a, a, a cue to a child the other thing that i really think works and we use a lot is sound so um, when we make sounds, so if we were to use humming breath or om, what happens is, is that the, the vibration of the sound goes back in, the vibration creates, uh, uh, goes back into the vagus nerve, which is the largest nerve in the body, which feeds straight back into the autonomic nervous system. I mean, I've simplified it very greatly for, for, for that, you know, uh, in this moment, it's much more complex than that. But basically, that's what it does. And also, when you're making sound, you're breathing out. So your breath has four parts, actually, it has the in breath, a pause, the out breath, and another pause, let's leave the pauses out of this for a minute. Your in breath is your um, calm uh, is your alerting uh, practice. And your out breath is your calming, right? So when you regulate both, you come into um, uh, uh, coherence, you know, in, into balance. So if the child is very high, you're going to want to get them to extend their exhalation to create more calm, right? So if the child isn't able to do that, as oftentimes they can't, they can make sounds. So omming or humming forms part of huge amounts of our practices. So if you if you were to just take a moment just to hum, literally or om and make the sound of om and extend the um bit of the om and feel as the sound, you know, you as the adult feel as the sound goes through you, the child will uh, possibly make the sound with you, but they'll also be able to feel it through you because you're creating a vibration. And, you know, the world is made up of energy, you know, uh, and so that energy exchange is there. So, and then depending on the nature of the child, one might want to do some stretching. So the stretches that I would do regularly would be lateral bending, which is lateral bending means you, you're, you're, you're stretching open the side of your body. Because what you're doing there is you're creating space, you, you know, your rib cage is here, right? So you're creating space um, for your, uh, for your rib cage to open, which means that there's more capacity of breath to be taken. And so again, that's going to calm, you know, help to soothe and calm. And you've got the serotonin piece of the stretching going on as well. Um, so you might want to stretch the body and then, you know, lay on the floor and stretch, literally do one long stretch out with your arms over your head, 
fingers of, as far away from your toes as possible and then counter it and bring your knees in towards your chest so you're bringing your upper body and your lower body together and you're connecting yourself you're hugging yourself you're squeezing yourself you're giving feedback into your uh, proprioceptive system uh, to know where you are in space again um, and then you can stretch out again and just that very simple movement you know two moves stretch and squeeze um, really is very regulating um, so where that feels right and that's a, that's a, a practice we use a lot um, I'm just thinking and then um, laying on the floor and just taking your knees from side to side so you're you're bringing um, you're balancing the left and right hemispheres of the brain by crossing the midline of the body and again bringing autonomic balance in you know uh, balance in for the autonomic nervous system um, and if you just did those three moves and breathed calmly you'd be in good shape beautiful and i think that oftentimes yoga is about let's achieve posture let's achieve posture and postures are great i'm not saying don't do that and i think it can be really good for confidence and things like that but at the end of the day keep it simple you know if a child can balance on one leg that's a huge achievement for a child that's bouncing around you know mm. It doesn't have to be complicated. That's what I'm saying, you know? And I think oftentimes the journey into a posture and out of a posture is as valuable as the posture itself. So slow everything down, repeat things, you know? It, so if you were just to take a lateral bend, for example, and you just did one, okay, well, we've just done one. But if you repeated that four or five times, you'll find that what happens is that the body starts to understand what's being asked of it. You start to trust it. You start to let go a little bit. You start to then go further into the posture. You start to breathe with it because you feel safe because you know what's being asked of you. And then you get the, the full benefit of the posture. Yep, yep. No, that com makes complete, complete sense. Um, and I can really see how that could um, help a child who is running around and um, and struggles. Let's learn how to squeeze ourselves. Let's, let's use your body. Use your body. Your body is an amazing vehicle. It's an amazing vehicle we have here. Mm. We've got to learn how to use it well. Mm. Yep, and, and there's no better way to do that than um, consciously coming back into your into your body, feeling yourself, feeling the earth around you, feeling into your breath. Um, no, that makes complete sense. You know, learning learning to make your breath your friend is a huge gift in life. Mm. That's something that's always with you um, and nobody can ever take away. So, uh, yeah, it is, it is always there. Yeah, personally, I um, I've found that whenever I'm in any sort of uh, stressful situation, I always do come back to my breath, and that has been um my greatest teacher is that coming back, just it's okay, inhale, exhale, um, that self talk as well. You know, this is this too soon shall pass. It's it's going to be okay. Is is such a powerful tool. And then we, you know, the the other thing I think that's really. Uh, important to know is that when you calm your breath down it changes your thoughts mm. so that all of that anxiety overthinking state when you regulate your your, your when you use your breath to calm your 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 body and your you calm yourself your thoughts change they slow down they're not as negative it happens it's like magic it's not magic because it's science but <laughs> it feels like magic you know yeah, and is, have there been any um, papers or anything that you've read um, with the um, benefits of uh, yoga for children? Is there any literature or anything that, um, 
Was it more yeah, just there's quite a lot of literature around. I think if you were to Google, you know, a scholar search on, on yoga for children, you'll find that there's a lot out there. There's quite a lot been done out of Harvard uh, through a guy called um, Sakbir Khalsa. He's one of the leading researchers in, in um, yoga for children. I've also written a chapter in um, a, a, a very dense yoga therapy book um, that was published out of India. Uh, actually, I think it was published out of the States, but it was originated in India. Um, so there, there is quite a lot out there. You just need to look for it, really, and to see the different pieces that would interest you. You know, they've researched more about how um, the autonomic nervous system works, how uh, children's uh, mental and emotional health improves. Um, and I think if we can kind of really get yoga as a therapeutic tool, um, not as a play exercise, out there into education into homes you know into kind of that that triangle of healthcare so education and so, social care you change the world you would change the world so would you um no would you say or advocate for yoga at school so as they come in before they start class or whatever you know spend an hour or, or 20 minutes or whatever it may be uh, to stretch to connect your breath and then begin learning well, I've always felt actually that, you know, huge amounts of money in education, certainly, I mean, I, you know, I imagine it's worldwide, but certainly in the UK have been thrown at, you know, uh, different techniques of helping children read and write and do maths and da, da, da. But if the child isn't in a state where they can receive that and that, you know, in the optimum state for learning, then I, I don't think that those tools are going to, uh, um, you're not going to get the best value out of those tools. So the first thing we need to do is let's prepare the child in the right way for being able to learn. And I think yoga is an amazing tool for supporting that. So, you know, we have, uh, we do a lot of work in education here in the UK uh, and, and, and I've done work in education around the world as well. And I think that, um, you know, if we can start to uh, uh, train educators uh, in their own, self-care self-regulation and also then to share on the tools with the children you know it, i think um everybody would thrive better mm. and so speaking about education and uh, providing people with the, the tools to be able to incorporate this um you have an online uh course don't you so people all over the world can actually um start to utilize these tools yeah we're an online training school and at the moment we're developing specific programs for specific parts of education so we're doing a program around dyslexia we'll be doing a program around semh which is social emotional mental health uh, we'll be doing programs around um autistic autism and behavior in the classroom so we're kind of giving people uh, you know which will be made up of a live webinar and, and some uh, pre-recorded resources that you'll be able to use and then we have uh, longer courses which um, i have to say are mainly today frequented by educators um, uh, uh, probably it's in order of kind of people that come in with educators, parents, uh, paediatric professionals, um, and then yoga teachers. Whereas 10, 15 years ago, it used to be yoga teachers first, because uh, people were then going into education. But now I think educators are, are beginning to understand that with the right tools and learning, they can actually, um, it can be more cost effective and useful to train up the people who are actually in the school all day long to um to learn how to use the techniques so we have a number of different different um 
different courses. So from uh, special yoga for special children foundation course, special yoga for children with autism, special yoga for children with CPPMLD. And then we're going to, as I said, we're cultivating some shorter courses and we go into education and provide um, in, you know, in-service training uh, in, in the UK, it's called inset training um, to help uh, bring some techniques and tools that can be used throughout the day, you know, drip fed. And, it, you know, people say, I can't do yoga because I can't touch my toes. If you can breathe, you can do yoga. Because it's not about putting your said, leg over your head. You, not, I'm, I'm never going to teach you to be a pretzel. I'm not interested. It's not what I do. I want to teach you how you can regulate yourself, how you can open your heart, how you can connect to, you know, uh, you know, different levels of, of kind of being of, of, of in peace. It's got to be the way forwards for the world. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Well, um, I'm obviously a very strong advocate for yoga and a very strong advocate for breath work and being present. And um, I think it's truly phenomenal what you're doing for children and um, providing these online courses, I think is great because it just opens that gateway uh, for more people to learn about how to um, apply these tools that we all have available to us. Um, and, you know, particularly for parents who are struggling with um, children with special needs, um, having this and, and, and cultivating this, I'm sure would be very beneficial uh, for them. We also um, have an app, uh, a special yoga app. It's on Mighty Networks uh, platform. So if you go onto Mighty Networks and put in special yoga, it's a free app. It's got free resources on it, um, as well as kind of an ongoing, you know, sort of thread. And all our courses are run through Mighty Networks anyway, actually. So perfect, perfect. Well, as a, as a, you know, as a a tech platform <laughs> yeah no that's 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 so good well um it's a to waste your time um so yeah with that thank you so much for um being here and i just uh one question i love to ask is um if you could um share one message with the world what what would that be make your breath your friend mm. beautiful no beautiful now, well, thank you so much, Jyoti, for uh, joining us today. And um, for those listening, uh, where's the best place that they can reach you? Um, well, they can reach us through, reach me through our website, which is www.specialyoga.co.uk um, or through the, our app, which is, again, it's on Mighty Networks, which is a um, an app platform, which, you, it's, it's a, you know, it's an app you can get through the app stores um, and uh, it's Special Yoga. So... Perfect. Awesome. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, all of our webinars, if you're in a different time zone and you can't make the live one because it's in the middle of your night, everything is recorded. So it's always accessible um, to you. And through the app, you know, whichever course you sign up for will have its own kind of area. So if you've got questions, you can put them in there. We're there to help. We're there to support. And we also have practitioners around the world. I've, I've done some training in Australia. So um, we, we have some people there as well. So. Come and find us. Perfect, perfect.